0: Alhamdulillahi wa wa salamu ala nabi Before I begin tonight's talk, inshallah, I'm going to answer on the air a uh, few questions that were put to me recently by some uh, students and seekers on the path of Daskiyah, because I felt that uh, answers to these questions uh, would uh, benefit our wider listening audience. First question uh, is actually, and, and some of these things are uh, things I may have talked about much earlier in the earlier years of the program, but because it's been some time since these topics have been covered and we may have new listeners, so I wanted to return to this um, because obviously if I keep getting these questions live, Um, then it's quite possible or probable that our listeners would have similar questions. So the first question is that, is it necessary to have a sheikh and follow a formal tariqah or smsalah in order to do one tzatkiyah? So the answer to the question is, it is absolutely not necessary or required. It would be wrong for somebody to say it's necessary or required or mandatory or obligatory to have a shaykh or to take a tariqah or to follow a particular path or a particular prescribed set of to do one here. But at the same time, equally emphatically, I would suggest that it is very beneficial and highly recommended but it being very beneficial and highly recommended does not in any way mean it's obligatory, fard, or wajib, or even sunnah. It's just highly beneficial, very beneficial, and highly recommended. All right? Now, why? Why is it the case? First, before I answer that directly, understand that there are many, many things in being which in of themselves are not, of the or logic or sunnah, but they're viewed as highly beneficial, oh, very beneficial and highly recommended, right? And because of their benefit, people sometimes even view them as essential. This can only take place when it is viewed as very beneficial and highly recommended in Attaining something that in of itself is far in logic or sunnah. So, now some examples. Is it required to set an alarm clock to wake up for fajr? No. It's neither farth nor logic nor sunnah. However, it is highly beneficial and therefore it's highly recommended. Why is it highly beneficial and highly recommended? Because setting the alarm clock enables and assists and provides a way for a person to pray Fajr Salah, and Fajr Salah in itself is Fajr. So now, using this as an illustrative example, one of thousands of examples like that indeed, the, the principle we extract is the following, is that if something is extremely beneficial to me in assisting, facilitating, providing a way and means and method to do something that is fun, then it's very essential for me to make use of that means. Now, that's to purify one's heart from sin, to purify one's eye from sin, to purify one's mind from actions of sin. That is required. That is far, absolutely far. And having a sheikh or a guide and having a prescribed path of zikr is how to attain that required goal, all right? So the means itself still doesn't become required. The goal is required, but sometimes we view it as essential on a personal level, not on a legal level, that we view it essential to ourselves personally because it helped us acquire the goal of trustee, right? Second question, that, you know, sometimes if I do, and I'm obviously Editing the question also. Second question is that sometimes when I go on the internet, whether it's on Google or YouTube or even academic articles, and I research things about these previous Sufis or works, sometimes I read something or I see something or I hear something that doesn't fit quite right with me. What should I do? So the answer is that absolutely you will find there may be some peculiarities or some particularities. First of all, if you ever hear or see or notice anything against the Sharia, you must leave it entirely, absolutely, the same way you would leave any other thing that is against Sharia. Second, if you say, no, it's just confusing to me. I can't say it strictly speaking against Sharia, but it's confusing. So this is what I will in English call a peculiarity, something you find peculiar. And it's only something particular. So, particularity, peculiarity. So, the true teaching of the soul is you can leave that off. No problem. Right? You do not have to artificially adopt things that you find, particular things that you find to be peculiar, because you're finding them to be peculiar means that they will be beneficial for you. All right? If you find and know the qualified scholarship that they're against Sharia, Get beneficial, irrespective of how beneficial you might perceive it to be, or maybe even you claim you've experienced it to be, it's still absolutely prohibited and you must cease and desist it altogether. If you say, no, it's not against Sharia, and qualified scholarship says it's permissible in Sharia. but I find it to be highly peculiar and awkward, well, then that means it's not beneficial for your Tazkiyah, so you can leave it, because the value of the method or practice of Tazkiyah lies in its benefit to you and if you find it not to be beneficial then you can leave it. But most one could say is that if you have a sheikh then you could present your confusion to your sheikh. If the sheikh's explanation removes the confusion truly and deeply from your heart and mind so that you don't find it peculiar anymore and now actually you find it beneficial then you can adopt that method in me. And listen to me carefully, if the explanation of the sheikh does not give you that contentment of heart, then you have two options. And you have both options, because the sharia gives you both options, and no one has the right to take it away from you. The two options are as follows. Number one, you can choose to do etimad. Etimad means that if you are a person of etimad, it means that you have so much trust in the in the scholarship or understanding of the sheikh, that simply accepting it on trust removes the confusion in your heart that you are allowed by Shriya to accept it on trust. And the second option is that if you say, I don't have that level of trust, and one must indeed be very careful in whom one places on trust, or even if you say, I do have the level of trust in the sheikh, but his explanation's did not give me enough trust in the practice, it is perfectly acceptable for you then to mention that to the sheikh and ask them, could there not be perhaps some other method or practice which you could guide me on for the sake of my task here? Because I'm not able to overcome my discomfort with this particular method or practice. I'm not able to overcome my finding this particular thing peculiar and therefore I'm not going to be able to benefit from it. All right, well, these were two questions, and you know from time to time, inshallah, on the program we'll try to share some of these things with our, uh, a broader audience than just the person who asked the questions. Now on to the topic for tonight. Alhamdulillahi, <laughs> wa wa اللهم صلِّ وسلِّم مباركَ رسِّيدنا وسلِّم دنا وشفيئنا وحبيبنا وحبيب ربنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين الحمد. اللهم تبارك وتعالى خبزنا الكريم عوننا من الشيطان الجميل بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم. ويؤبرنا على أنفسهم ولو كانوا بهم خصاصة. وقال الله تعالى في آخر الآية إن الإنسان الذي خف إن الذين آمنوا من الصلاة آل. The, loss of men, the, loss of the topic I wanted to talk about tonight is another aspect of the and also another aspect of being a seeker on this path, and that is what I would loosely in English call the social aspect and the community aspect. And before I talk about it in its particular application to the soul it should be understood, and it's very important to locate everything in its original essential context of Quran and Sunnah. And that is that in our deen, Allah has made it very clear that we have a social communal aspect to our deen. Allah said in the that indeed all of the believers are brethren to one another. Brethren to one another. It means there's a certain support that we have to take from each other. Sayyidina Rasulullah, he sallallahu alayhi wa said, that all of deen not consists of offering sincere advice and counsel. Deen means nasiha. So this notion of feeling of brethren or companionship or fellowship, if you will, the feeling of fellowship is grounded in our deen. And the relationships of nasiha are grounded in our being. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah al ashr told us that we must have iman and we must also have practice. And, what the bil haqqi, wa tawasa bil The means to mutually do Nasiha, to mutually advise one another. That's another relationship, a relationship of mutual advising and counseling a relationship of Nasiha and a feeling of fellowship. All of these things are established clearly from the Quran and Sunnah. So now what happens practically speaking is that there are going to be levels of that feeling. The first level, not just even believers, but for all of humanity. And you find this in the sunnah of Shayya and he has compassion and empathy for all human beings. And his compassion with and empathy was this that they should receive Hidayah. They should also get to know Allah. Ta'ala. They should also believe in Allah. Ta'ala. They should also love Allah. Ta'ala. This is a feeling for all of humanity. And this is a feeling we're supposed to have, as opposed to having hostility or enmity or hatred for non Muslims. We're supposed to have that compassion and empathy. Yes, compassion but empathy doesn't mean. That we compromise in our deen, or compromise in our sharia, or compromise in anything for their sake, and say, Na Rasulullah, he's very firm and steadfast, and obviously never did anything remotely like that. But, he did have compassion and empathy for them, even for his enemies, even for Abu Lahab and Abu Jahl, even for those who were opposing him. And in fact, it's that very compassion and empathy for his enemies who were opposing him, that enabled so many of them, so very many of them, to receive hidayah after Fatih Makkah, to, to, to be guided by Allah SWT to imam after the also some uh, victorious return to Makkah Muqarah. All right? So this is a sunnah that we should have. And I was reflecting, uh, you know, I was discussing with someone uh, something about Islamic history, and and I did a little bit of reading on it also recently to refresh myself and it never ceases to amaze me when we, you know, learned about this mongol timur invasion of the, you know, heartland that was now called Central Asia, Transoxania and it's an amazing thing how these people were barbarian, nomadic warriors and they came and they totally it was like a one-sided victory. One-sided, they were victorious. And they hurt and tortured and killed a lot of believing, a lot of believers, a lot of believing men, women, children, elderly, everything. In a matter of just a few generations, a little sponsor gave them the Hidayah for Iman, and that same home, that same community, race, civilizations which were the conquerors of these Muslim land and people themselves and accepted Islam and then became a new golden age of the Islamic empire. All of Now, you know, you hear a lot of anecdotal stories and there's a lot of different things that historians write, but my heart tells me that it's something very similar to Hadamaka. And it must be that despite this oppression and injustice the Muslims of those lands retained compassion for those invaders and conquerors based on their humanity and they made dua for their hidayah and they remained firm and steadfast on their deen and their akhlaq and their adab and alhamdulillah, all of these things, and of course, first and foremost it with Allah's wish and will that He granted us people Hidayah. So the first thing is a fellow is a feeling of fellowship and compassion with all of humanity. Second level is obviously from within humanity to feel an extra and a very significant extra special feeling of compassion and fellowship with the Ummah, of Muhammad Mustafa sallallahu Alaihi meaning with all of our fellow Mu'moreen, Mu'moreen, Muslimin, Muslimin. And this is a very important feeling. And, you know, there's some very beautiful adith and nabi-i-kareem sallallahu about this, about that none of you... Have truly completed and perfected your iman until they love for their fellow believer what they love for themselves. So this is a, another aspect of equality and equity: to love for someone else what you love for yourself, and the same, <clears throat> in the same level, in the same degree, in the same intensity. And this, when will this happen? This happens when you feel a fellowship with them to such an extent that they are as precious to you as your own self. That's called fellowship. And I'm translating it as fellowship as opposed to brotherhood because it's not a gendered concept. It's called brethren and fellows. And that's when you love them. You have to love them as much as you love yourself. To love for them as much as what you love for yourself. That's an incredible feeling, and that's what Ummah wanted this Ummah to have. And when the name of the Ummah was Sahaba, the Sahaba, they had this feeling for one another like that. Now, mean you, you don't have that feeling. You don't have that feeling. That's a very important feeling that we're supposed to have. Then comes the third thing, and our deen acknowledges this, and this means your relatives those of your family kin. And there's many texts in the Quran and the Hadith that make it clear that family has an extra uh, right over us and there's an extra relationship and an extra bond by being a blood relative with someone. Right? And so that's also a natural feeling. and We should have extra compassion. Yes, they're human and yes, they're from the Ummah. But even extra to that is they're my family, they're my relatives. And then comes the notion of spiritual fellowship. And this is something that has been there when the whole, in the time of Samar but they had it for everyone. And then when the ummah became so large, you couldn't know everybody in the ummah, right? Now, it would be on the one sense true, on the one sense untrue, for me to tell you I have equal feelings for everyone in the ummah. On the one sense, true that as far as the being my fellow believer, I have equal feelings for all my fellow believers. I would make law for them. I would equally want any and every one of them to be saved from the fire, Jannah, and then go to Jannah. But then, obviously, living in a world of 1.5 billion Muslims, or more or on than 1.5 to 2 billion Muslims, there would be some who I would be more close to, and there will be some who I don't even know. So there is this notion that there is a group of people who you know. You don't personally know every person in Ummah, right? And from those who you know, there are those relationships that you're knowing them and associating with them or for the sake of being. And there are many hadith of Nabiya Karim that clearly, explicitly, irrefutably point to this relationship. For example, one hadith. It Sayyid Alasullah mentioned that on the day of judgment there will be no there will be seven categories of people who will be granted the coolness and the shade of the arsh of Allah. S. On that day there will be no other shade. And amongst those categories of people, one of them are the Al Mutahabuna, those who loved one another for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's talking about a certain fellowship. It's so not talking about the entire ummah. talking about person and in their circle of people that they knew, there were some relations, some relationships that they had that were purely lillah <laughs> filah, were purely for the sake of Allah s.a.w. That's a special relationship. That's a special relationship. Sayyidina Rasulullah s.a.w. said another day. And it's all sahih but if you love a person for the sake of Allah you should tell them that. Now if I were to say, well I love all of the Ummah. No, it's understood. That there's a particular love you have for this person for the sake of Allah. You should share that so that it becomes an even stronger bond. And this is the Prophet in Hidayah guiding us to how we can become from the Al-Mutahabuna fi Allah that tells mutually love one another for the sake of Allah. Now what happens is that sometimes, and this isn't the only way, and this is not the necessary way, but this is a way, a possible way, a permissible way that people develop this bond is that when they develop this bond of love, mutual love for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they express that to one another, that is on the path of the tariqah, that is for the sake of Allah subhanahu Why? Because their fellowship is based on them being fellows, Seekers on the path. Fellow seekers of saluk and tariqah. Fellow seekers on the path to seek and attain the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's a fellowship. That's a fellowship. Now, let's momentarily step away from this and look at another fellowship, which is also a shared bond, and is also for earning the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that is a ta'lim and ta'allum, which means uh, seeking knowledge of being. So if you find people who were students at the same Institute of Islamic Learning, and not only at the same institute, but they were in the same bath, the same course, the same class, and that means what they attended classes together, and yes, they reviewed lessons together, and they had study sessions together. So all of that time, even just the time spent together creates the bone. And then the fact that the time was spent learning B, learning Qur'an, learning Sunnah, the B, a green sunnah, allah salam, that bond. And that was a relationship of what the law saw, what the law saw discovered, it was mutual counseling. And then there was a mutual loving, and then there was sharing and learning, and the joys of watching another person understand, the joys of learning from another person. These are all bonds, and they're real. And they take place, and any good institute of Islamic learning. And just like these bonds and that fellowship is there with fellow students of the same Ustaw or the same teacher, or between and amongst fellow students of the same institute, the same Siddhara. Just like that, similarly, in fact I would say identically, you have the same bond of fellowship between students of the same Sheikh and students of the same lap leading to Allah Subhanahu alayhi But See, I had to actually want to talk about this, but we have to set it up so a person realizes it's not something against Sharia, it's not asabiya. it's not partisanship, it's not bias. it's not prejudice, it's not a cult. it's not sectarianism, it's not exclusivity. It's a natural fellowship, and it's part of the fellowship bond that Sayyidina Rasulullah, he sallallahu alayhi mentioned and taught us to seek and acquire And indeed, how much, one of the greatest ways to fall in love with a person for the sake of Allah is that you learn your deed together with them, that you learn your deed from them, that you're Ustah, that they're your fellow student in that course, or they're your fellow seeker on the path of Sikr, the path of Tazkiyah. all right? But it's very important that when this bond of fellowship naturally, so first, some very important things that should govern, absolutely govern and dictate, and really, you know, regulate these bonds of fellowship between fellow seekers. This is very important. Number one, that that bond should take place naturally. There should never be anything artificial in it. There should be never any be any peer pressure. There should never be crowd behavior. There should never be herd behavior. It should be naturally, willfully, willingly. Number two, the bond should have its limits, and it should never transgress those limits and enter any exaggeration or partisanship or sectarianism, all right? So it should be proper and within its limits. It should be natural, and it should be kept in perspective. That would be a good way to put it. But the second point, it should be kept in its perspective. But, okay, yes, I have this special bond with somebody that could be sitting at eight eight years together. But that doesn't mean I'm going to totally exclude somebody else. I'm going to sideline somebody else. I'm going to unacceptably prefer this person over the other person, ignoring all issues of marriage and family, etc. Alright? So, number one, it should be naturally, and number two, it should be willfully, and number three, it should be within... It should have limits and it should have a perspective. Now, let us look at something, uh, that Allah SWT mentioned in Quran also, and somebody that may be agreeing to guide us a bit more on some of the guidelines and regulators on these fellowship stamps. Allah SWT said in Quran again, And this is Allah initially describing Sabaka, But sabakah was the niyad of imam. They are the standard, and they define what a good believer is. It means that the quality of Samnagram, the quality of any and all true believers who follow in their footsteps and emulate them, is that they are such that they give preference to others over themselves, even though they might be themselves in need, right? And this is obviously referring in one instance to... uh, there, There are several incidents of this. You know, Summer mentioned about Sayyidina Ali, who wa and Sayyidina Fatimah, but there's actually another ayah about that and there's another incident of Sayyidina Abu Talha, wa and his wife Noble wife Umid Sulaim, anha, that they hosted a guest at the request of the Biyakni, some of them some remained hungry and they went without food, so that the food that they had prepared was just for themselves. I mean, this is you know, not just an age before refrigerator and cold storage, but it was a time when Kavikram lived day to day and meal to meal. They didn't prepare extra food. And so when these people, went, when they had a guest of the vehicle, even some non-Muslims, so they only had whatever food was for themselves, and they preferred to feed their guests rather than eat themselves. All right. Now this can be taken more broadly to so many things in our theme, right? Uh, it might be, uh, you know, for example, uh, not to touch, I'm not touching on the contemporary, uh, latest events regarding how the visa fees, but there was a time when much earlier, several years ago, quite a, several years ago, that the muntazineen, the people who are in charge of administering the Hajj, felt, and, uh, you know, this is, it's the right. Uh, there, I think we have to have Husnazan, we have to have a favorable, optimistic, opinion of them that they came to this decision, which I'm about to mention what the decision was. They came to this decision with sincerity and what they truly sincerely felt was best. They felt this person should not make hajj more than a month every five years. And they set the limit, that if you've gone on hajj, then they won't give you hajj for another five years. Now, Allahu of course, Allah knows best what all the reasons were that went to the decision. Allah Ta'ala knows best whether it? the right decision or should people <clears throat> just make tabaqam and Allah ta'ala let anyone and everybody who wants to come. But I think that it wasn't their lack of tobacco I don't think there was anything sinister in their heart or in their mind. It generally felt this was the right thing to do. Maybe they felt that there were some people, indeed, who due to their affluence could afford to come every year and because of them coming and again due to their affluence and their ability to pay market demand for expensive hotel rooms, so the poor people who are coming once in a lifetime have to live so far away and have to walk so far to reach the haram, but maybe they thought we should trim uh, the coming of the athman so that it's easier for those who come once in a lifetime. Allahu Akbar. Right? But the point is that, okay, let's say, how would we want to find a way to practice this uh, requirement? So we could try to go back to this ayah and just say, okay, look, I've gone on Hajj once. And I should wait five years, so I'll make me, yeah. And then on the bidniyah, I'll make me, I'll make intention of this verse that I'm going to give preference to others over myself. Even though I feel deep spiritual need that I need to go on Hajj and I need that rahmah and Maqfar of and I desperately need it and I need to go really badly, but okay, I won't go this year. And I'll make the media that my not going will facilitate ease for somebody else who goes, and then maybe Allah will grant me more than even if I went. All right? So again, a lot of times it's about outlook. It's about intention, It's about perspective. And this is something that's important when it comes to fellowship, whether it's fellowship between the entire ummah, fellowship between and amongst family, fellowship between and amongst particular believers within whom we are in a circle of love or share a, a... you know, share a bond of being fellow students or fellow seekers, Allah giving us a guideline in addition to the guideline of it happening naturally and willfully and the guideline of having it being uh, within limits and not allowing any partisanship to come. Another time is to prefer your fellows over yourself. To prefer your fellows over yourself. Another incident was that of say, Mali, 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 and Mali, 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 also mentioned, that they, he used to feed, uh you know, out of their love for Allah, they said the poor. Another aspect that is the second verse is suggesting that, that you all have to reach beyond your fellowship thoughts So if there's something you would do for your fellow seeker, your peer by or your peer band, sometimes you should do that for some of their also it's not an exclusive thing. It's not an exclusive thing. Now, the difficult part that comes in this is what we had mentioned, Adin and and Yutu and because the difficult situation, can I construct what we call, what ethics is called, the hard cases. The hard case is the following that you have some type of fellowship bond with a member, maybe their fellow students of Adem, uh, or your fellow students of a Sheikh and there's an opportunity for you to do nasiha and mutual receive it to them that you have to mutually advise and counsel them but the other person is stubborn and unwilling to listen and every attempt made by you to advise them to counsel them makes them even more stubborn provokes a reaction causes a backlash and you're trying to make things better and you end up only making things worse this situation then again, right? You have to think with your mind and also pray with your heart and ask the to inspire you to what's the best cause. But sometimes, temporarily at least, withdrawing from that Messiah, withdrawing from that mutual Messiah is actually what's best. Because if you don't, it was very interesting that one uh, very senior alum in this country, uh, I mean, I'm sitting in Pakistan, right now. very strong Pakistan, who I met, we're discussing something, he said a very interesting thing that when you do on the one hand, Deen wants you to actively try to stem an evil and try to make it disappear by trying to negate it. But at the same time, if you realize that in in my attempt to negate this evil, a whole host of other evils might arise, so then I need to reconsider that in order to negate this one evil, if ten more evils will arise, maybe then in the ultimate, some game I will end up with nine evils as opposed to one due to my efforts of negation. So actually, my inaction would negate the ten evils that would result from my action. And my action would only negate the one evil that is directly in front of me. So it shows, you know, these bonds of fellowship and the bond between the ummah can sometimes be very, uh, very delicate uh, and require a lot of understanding and what in our view is called shikmah, which means wisdom, uh, and tajribah, uh, which means experience, right? Uh, for us to understand what we are meant to do in these fellowship bonds, all right? And uh, I mentioned these two ayat of three. Then I wanted to mention some of uh, the hadith of on the qurim that, again, uh, talks about this compassion and empathy and this feeling of uh, fellowship uh, that we should have. So uh, one of the hadith I already mentioned that Nabi the qurim said that uh, none of you truly believes until you... Love for your fellow believer, what you love for yourself. And another thing to be a believer is that when any one of you fulfills the need of your, or even attempts for that matter, when any one of you attempt or strive to fulfill the need of your fellow believer, Allah will fulfill your needs, right? And the notion is that when you help others, Allah Ta'ala will help you. Like Allah Ta'ala said if you help Allah, and by that Allah Ta'ala method, if you help the need of Allah Ta'ala, Yes, uh, that Allah, Allah, he, Allah, that he will help you. All right, Uh, and this is the notion of the feeling of fellowship, that we help people in their needs. So somebody needs a nasiha, you make the effort to reach out to them. Somebody needs your help, you make the effort to help them. Somebody needs your guidance, you need the help, you make the effort to guide them. And if somebody needs you to just back off and be quiet for a little while, then you make that effort yourself down, right? Looking at what's best for that person, looking at the needs of that person, looking at doing what's best for the of that person. And the last thing that will mention on this topic is du'a. To make du'a. law and many, and there's so many hadith about this, in making du'a for your fellow believers. all right? And that's really in some sense the truest and deepest and best and best And you'll see the same thing happen in du'a that we should, make the law all the levels of fellowship we should make law for the Hadai of all humanity, we should make law for the entire Ummah, then we should make the law for all of our family relatives. Then we can make the law for our near family members such as parents, spouses, and children. Then we make the law for those believers with whom we have some fellowship bond, some feeling of love, might be our friends, might be our colleagues, might be our neighbors, might be our students, might be our teachers, and we have to make these laws. And we have to make these laws regularly. And many times, you know, when we make du'a for a person, it's it's due to our du'a for that person that Allah Ta'ala can guide our heart on what's the wise way to interrelate with that person. And it can be due to our du'a for that person that Allah Ta'ala can help and guide that person. And Allah Taala Allah, Allah wa hidayah is far more, and far more powerful and far more profound than any Masihah that we may be able to give that person that we make du'a to that Allah wa Ta'ala. Increase, increase us, accept us, and increase us in all of our bonds of fellowship, and may we keep each and every one of those bonds in perspective, and may we not fall prey to exaggeration, and may we at the same time not fall prey to undue and excessive moderation, and may we have the passions and emotions in the kind and degree that Allah, Allah wishes to see them, and Allah SWT believes to see them, wa'akhir da'lana, an